All right. I'd like to welcome uh, Matthew Rosenberg to Comics Asylum. Uh, welcome, Matthew. And how has your 2021 been so far? Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, my tw- I don't know how to answer how my 2021 has been so far. <laughs> I'm, I'm healthy and okay. So in, that's a big win. Uh, I don't really leave my house very much. So that's a, probably a minus, but I, I'm working a lot. So, you know, I feel very grateful that I, I can have my job and, and make comics and things. So all in all, I think I'm doing well, but it's a new kind of well, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, I think from my point of view, you're in New York, I'm in Toronto. So kind of the same kind of city in the setup, you know, sure. transit and all that stuff. Getting used to... Uh, going back to normal, like taking transit. I was at a hockey game recently um, and just the crowds, even though I'm not, I'm not afraid of them or anything like that. It was just getting used to being around people. And that's something that I'm quite used to being in a big city. Yeah. I mean, that's been such a weird thing for me is that like, you know, people asking me to come do signings and come do comic cons. And like, I, 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 there's like so many factors at play because it's like, well, I'm, I'm vaccinated. I feel kind of okay about it, but I also feel a little bit anxious about it, but also I don't feel great about encouraging people to meet in like large, large groups, like a con- like New York comic convention is coming up and it's this week and it's, mm-hmm. you know, five subway stops from my house. It's like my hometown show. And I was just like, no, I'm not going to do it because I think I don't feel good about asking people to go into that situation to see me. And I understand people would be there no matter, regardless of whether or not I'm there, but like, I don't feel like I can condone people in that larger scale coming together right now. It doesn't feel safe. I feel like it, I, I wouldn't be okay if people got sick or got hurt because of, of coming to see me. So I have to like weigh that, which is something I've never weighed before in my life. But so it's, it's very strange time for sure. Yeah, yeah, almost like we're living in a uh, dystopian science fiction. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think about that a lot. Uh, you know, it's it's funny because we started making this book, which is a dystopian book before the pandemic, and one of the ideas in the book is that it's dystopian, but the characters don't think it's dystopian. They think it's their life. Like that's it's the world they know. They don't think like everything has gotten horrible. They think this is reality, and that was a big thing we were excited about and then when the pandemic hit me me and tyler who i make the book with were like oh when do you realize that you're in a dystopia like who like it it was something we had artistically thought about but then i i don't know i think about it now and i'm just like this is a weird reality but you're immediately like well this is the new reality or this is the current reality and you're never i don't know I, i it's a weird it's a very strange thing to be making fiction about a dystopian world and living in what feels very dystopian I mean comparatively I I know for a lot of people things feel very normal right now but for a lot of people they don't and so it's it's a it's a bizarre time to be making anything let alone a book like the one we're making for sure and so tell us what you can without giving away too many spoilers uh about what's the furthest place from here because I love the title and one thing before you get started, when you were just talking there, one thing that struck me was it's not only where you are physically, but where you are mentally and psychologically. Yeah, exactly. The, um, the, so what's the first place from here is a 
punk rock dystopian post-apocalyptic coming of age story um, set in a world that has ended and all that's left are gangs of children who live in the the ruins of our former world and um, our story starts when uh, the gang we follow who live in a record store um, one of them goes missing and the, that's really the inciting incident for the story and then the gang has to decide if they're going to risk everything and set off to find her or whether they're you know they want to stay in their their safety of their record store in their home and and you know keep keep the status quo as much as they can so it is it is a it is a strange um we call it a coming of age story and i think people think that it that means that it's all ages or ya and i think i think you know teenagers can read it it's not an all ages book it's kind of dark and kind of violent and pretty weird but um yeah it's it's definitely a a book about a lot of things but one of those things is is growing up and and finding out that the world around you isn't exactly the whole world like having that bubble of your childhood burst and so now we're in a time where the world around people is often shrinking and uh it's a funny thing to be making this book as the world changes for sure now did i guess going through the pandemic Mm-hmm. inform or change any of the narrative kind of drive that you and Tyler Boss, who's the artist on the book, may have had initially? Or were you just set on, this is our direction, let's go? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because it, it actually didn't just change it narratively. Um, there, it, it changed it in, in like so many ways because we've been working on the book for a really long time. Um, we announced it a long time ago and, and we... Um, you know, we had some, we, we really wanted to take our time with the book and we had some work stuff and some life stuff come up for both of us. And um, when we really were like, okay, we're ready to launch the book was in um, January of last year. We were like, okay, let's do a spring release for the book. And we talked to Image about it and we were working on a timeline and then everything got upended. And a big thing for us was like comic shops closing and Diamond shutting down. And we had a real panic about you know, our careers and our future and, and the, the, the medium we love and the community of comics. And uh, we, me and Tyler had a long talk about like, well, what do we do when things come back? Um, and I, you know, our, our decision was to really change the structure of the book in a lot of ways. We, we wanted to make it much more of an event. We wanted to make it feel much bigger and much more special. So we combined basically the entire first arc of the book into just a couple issues. And so the first issue is 64 pages, the second issue is 48 pages, the third issue is 48 pages. We wanted people to really get the, get a bang for their buck and, and really feel like they got something that was unique. But so the books themselves physically changed in size and we added pages and rewrote stuff. Um, But then beyond that, like, I mean, the the obvious answer is that in, in in issue four, there was a there's all these different gangs of children, and they all sort of have unique their own unique aspects. And in issue four, you were going to meet a gang of children who were um, all uh, afraid of disease, and they all wore masks <laughs> and scrubs and suits, and they were like very paranoid. And I was like, oh, that has to go. Like that doesn't feel like good at all to be putting that into this book now. So that whole chunk disappeared. Um, 
But more than that, I, th I think a, a lot of it is just in subtle ways about the way we think of the book. It's an ongoing series. So like thinking about what it means going forward, like there's a lot of stuff that I realized that like I wanted to do in the book that you're going to see later on that like it just changed subtly. But I was like, I don't want to do that. I would rather talk about things this way. And uh, I mean, a big thing for me is is the idea of community and, and right. taking care of your community and um, protecting your community and having your community care for you and what it means to be part of a community that does that and what it means to be part of a community that doesn't do that. Those are those were like themes in the very back of the book that we pushed forward for sure in the last year and a half. And it's interesting you mentioned that because I would say that we've probably become more tribal uh, mm -hmm. in the States and in, and in Canada, whether it's politically, whether it's the virus, how you're going to combat the virus, how you're going to live your life, what's important after going through almost two years of mm -hmm. a lockdown, um, and then how entrenched people can become with those ideals, and then how it informs and then determines behavior after that. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, that's something that uh, I think is fascinating. I think watching people come to decisions based on the, the people around them and really like just, yeah, become entrenched is exactly right. Like really dig in on things and, and like watch it spread to every facet of their life where like you watch people just become more empathetic or less empathetic to the people around them. You watch people uh, become more risk averse or less risk averse, like, and it, and it becomes really fascinating. Like I, I, I see people who are very much like, I, I don't understand why you'd do things that, that might endanger others. And I watch people, other people be like, I don't understand why you do things that aren't taking care of yourself at a time like this, like looking out for yourself first and foremost, and seeing those two ideologies at war is just fascinating uh, on a political level but like when you're trying to i mean it becomes the thing of like reality starts to outpace your ability and fiction to keep up where <laughs> you're just like i'm writing this and it feels absurd and then i see someone say it on twitter and i'm like oh no this is real like this is what people think it's it's very um it's it's very rich time to be thinking about this stuff i think and and i feel both cursed and very lucky to be <laughs> already doing a book about it yeah and, and what i found even within the story with a couple of characters and then within your own group like i'll just use my friends and family how you have like a difference of opinion and it's almost like you didn't realize mm -hmm. that you were dealing with this type of individual you didn't yeah, realize yeah. that what was deep inside of their own um just their own view of the world and of themselves and there are a couple of instances in, in the first issue where you, you know, you're part of a collective, mm -hmm. but then individual actions take over. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a moment uh, that's later on in the book that's always been in the book, but to me is like, I feel like, Oh, we really, we really hit something that is going to resonate with a lot of people. And like, I, I can't spoil it, but, no no, there, no, no. There's a there's a moment where a character where you find out a character has been doing something for their own self-preservation, for their own good, and they're scared and they've been and they start doing something for their own good. And it is really upsetting and really 
a betrayal of the group and it's it's a hard moment and it, it's something that me and tyler really wrestled with because we really like the character and we were like are we going to do this to them and i was like but and i i said we have to think of it from their point of view like i have to write this and approach this from their point of view like this is a scared person who's going to do what they can to survive and like they put themselves again above others and like i think that that's understandable i think that's relatable to a lot of people and and so like yes when you when you're in a group and a, a collective and and you suddenly things get uh, it's a test of people these times are a test of of who we really are and and i think we're that's something we're we've always been trying to explore even before the pandemic in this book of like you know how much does how much does your social circle how much does your community really influence you and how much when it when the when everything's on the line are you your own person above that uh, for good and for bad so yeah and I, and it's also interesting because you, you i'm thinking again of the characters in the book you're not quite sure and you can correct me if i'm wrong how long or how far we've been since the initial fall in your mm -hmm. in your story oh yeah yeah, yeah. So you're now set with characters, especially with them being children, who know stuff, but don't know what they don't know, right? Yeah. And so there are things happening to characters that they're, that's, it's apparent, but they're unaware of what's happening. Yeah. And then also how, because they're in a record store, which I found is a fascinating kind of like home base, mm -hmm. where that also then leads to, the, to some of your tribalism and also a link to the past but then how you form identity, mm -hmm. you know, through not only just the albums, but also what they think the messages are either through the album cover or the music. Yeah. yeah. The it's, it's funny because uh, when you, do, when you say post-apocalyptic to people, I think a lot of them assume that like, it's right then it's like, Oh, this, the apocalypse was a week ago and now we're dealing with it. And so a lot of people I, I find go into the book, and they're very caught off guard by the fact that like these kids don't seem to know much about the world before the fall and like you know i had someone just point blank who read it point blank asked me like why don't they remember and i was like it's not necessarily in their lifetime and they were like oh and i was like yeah and we don't the book is interesting because we we or it's interesting for me at least we took the chance we took the time to really uh, embrace mystery in the book and and not spell everything out. There was a there was a point where we were going to have everything explained going in and have everything laid out and characters would tell you what the world was and when it happened and we were even going to have maybe like a a title page that explained what happened. And I said no, let's let's let the mystery drive things. And and I was thinking about um, it's less so in comics I find, but in a lot of like the TV I like stuff like Lost or, or Twin Peaks or The Leftovers, things like that where uh, there's a plot and there's a story that you're following and that's the main driving force. But these little questions and mysteries of what the world is are, are the thing that hooks you a secondary way. They, they really bring you back. And that's something we wanted. And so the world being a mystery and what's happening in the world being a mystery and what people know and what they don't know being a mystery was a big thing for us. So yeah, there's a there's a funny thing because you start the book and it's kids in a record store and you're like, okay, this is, this could be any point in time. And then you step outside and you go, oh, okay, so something has happened. And then as you get more information, you're like, I, I don't know what's happened. 
but the kids don't know what's happened. This is their reality. And so there is this interesting connection to the past that we start with, where we're, we give you something that you understand in the record store and, and kids hanging out and talking about records. And then you move on and you're like, oh, there's a whole lot of questions here. And so how long things have been this way and, and how they got this way is all stuff we have the answers to. And it's gonna be doled out slowly if we feel like you need it. Some of these things we're, we know, but we're like, you may never know the answer to this and that's okay. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a fun blend of, of questions and, and familiarity that we're playing with, for sure. And so let's talk about your um, collaboration with Tyler. Like you guys are, are uh, pretty familiar with each other. You've worked on projects before. Yes. What was it like after going through previous um, projects coming together on this one? Was it a little bit easier or was it more of like you're able to have that push and pull, the kind of creative push and pull that's needed sometimes to get the best out of something? You know, it's, yeah, you know, it's funny. Tyler is, uh, he's one of my closest friends and we used to work together in a comic shop before we made comics together. So we're, we're old, old buddies and, and know each other really well. Um, and we made a book called Four Kids Walking to a Bank together. He worked on my first creator-owned book, We Can Never Go Home. He colored half of it, did a lot of covers for it. And um, we've done some shorts together and, and various things. And uh, the, the thing about this book is, is we've been working on it for a long time and we, we actually started it when, when we were wrapping up Four Kids Walking to a Bank. So we started it a while back and we started making a book that was very similar to Four Kids Walking to a Bank. We liked making that book. We had a lot of fun doing it. The audience seemed to really respond to it well. And it's, it's an obvious instinct to be like, the audience like this, let's give them more. And I, I just had this realization that that's not, I think part of what we liked about making Four Kids Walking to a Bank was that it was all new to us. We were trying new things and we were pushing each other and it felt very fresh. And I feel like that's something maybe not consciously, but subconsciously the audience reacted to that like we were, we were really challenging each other. And so going and following the playbook of that book again felt like a cop out to me. It felt cheap to be like, let's creatively just follow in the exact footprints we were in. And so, you know, we had, we were, we were decently far along in, in doing a different book. And I, I stopped and I said, Tyler, like, let's talk about this. I said, we should really be pushing ourselves. We should really be doing something. And he was very, very into it and very excited. And so it's not falling into the same, it's not an easy groove to get back into. We work together great, but we're not in our comfort zone by choice because we're like, whereas Four Kids Walking to a Bank was five issues, small, self-contained, real world crime comedy story. We tried to flip as much of that as we could. So this is an expansive, huge open world, world building, science fiction, fantasy adventure. That's an ongoing series with like a, a really large cast and all these complicated rules. And, um, you know, we threw out as much of the idea of four kids as we could in order to make something as close to four kids as we could, if that makes sense. And mm -hmm. so every, every issue of this book is sort of a learning experience to be like, what can we do? How can we change things? And it's been really great because we, we took a long time to really experiment. And that's why you get things like the 64 page first issue, because we just kept adding and changing and being like trying to get exactly the books we wanted to get 
like it was our first time working together, like it was a first project. And so I, I'm really proud of it because it is a complete reinvention of what we've done to get back to the feeling of what we've done, if that makes sense. No, it, it makes total sense. And even though it's, you know, it's, you know, it's apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic, there is a good deal of humor in it as well, too. Some of it is subtle and some of it is right in your face. And, I, and there are a couple of moments where, especially during the party scene in the record mm-hmm. store, that I, just, I was laughing out loud and oh. it kind of just took me back to my kind of like high school party days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the, you know, like at the end of the day, we, we were like, this still needs to feel like a book we would make. Like it still has mm-hmm. to be funny and have heart and be character driven. And that's always been the core. That is the thing that we, I was like, we can't get rid of. And I feel weird because the second issue, I think is much funnier than the first issue. Um, the first issue, we, we really were like trying to see how funny it could be. And then, we sort of settled in a place where I was like, it's it. Now that we know the world and the rules and there's real stakes, like now I feel like we can sort of deal with the absurdity of these kids in this world. And so I, I the book gets a little funnier as it goes, um, but it also gets other things. It gets to be more of a horror book and it gets to be more creepy and weird. So it's it's all this stuff like adding ingredients as we go. But yeah, I I, I really we really wanted to keep that like yeah high school vibe of just like this is high school for these kids except their high school is you know <laughs> gang fights and hunting for food and you know worshiping records and things like that so it's a it's it there's recognizable elements but it is its own weird thing for sure and there's a parallel with record stores and comic book stores and so for sure speak to your experience, you know, you and Tyler working in a comic book store and then how that not only that informs you as a creator, but then also using that as one of the linchpins of your story, but as a record store. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually, uh, I used to work in a record store too. I've worked in both a comic shop and a record store. And it, that was always a thing that was funny to me was that like, um, it's the same type of person that goes to both but they're different people, but you're yeah. like, you're the same person. Like <laughs> you, you who wants a variant cover and you who wants a record on a weird color vinyl and you who's looking for the perfect 9.8 CGC cover and you who's taking the records out of the sleeve and wants to make sure there's no scratches oh, yeah. and like the back issue guys and the, and the, and the folks looking for, for out of print seven inches, like you're the same person. Yeah. You just don't know it. I want my bootleg live, you know, YouTube or something. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm both of those people. I'm a, I'm a big record fan and record collector and, and comic book nerd my whole life. Um, but I think the thing we were really tapped into and the thing we really wanted to focus on with this is like in the book, all of the gangs of children, they don't live in houses. They live in, they're not businesses necessarily but they live in structures that that were for a purpose so there's a gang who lives in a bank and they absorb the purpose of the building so the gang who lives in a bank sort of are are traders and they they hoard things and they collect things and there's a gang who lives in a police station and they run around enforcing rules that they've made up and they're kind of violent and crazy but they to them they're the law and and so every gang has sort of adopted a purpose and they, they, they've rebuilt the world in this image where they don't really understand it. They, they have a few pieces of the map and they're rebuilding it and they're filling in the blanks and it's all 
screwy and wrong, but there's some semblance of that. And that was an idea we had early on and we were really excited about. And I was like, but who would we follow? Like, who is the, who is the gang who'd be most interesting? What is the thing? And to me, the obvious answer was like, uh, like you said, a comic shop or a record store. And we didn't want to do comic shop because that would feel too self-referential. But like, mm -hmm. to me, they're, they're a very similar place and they're a very important place. I, I think it's changed for younger people, especially in the, like the rise of Spotify or whatever. But like, those are the places, especially for me, and I think for a lot of people where it's the first chance to go somewhere and and assert your taste and assert your identity. I know that someone said to me the other day that um, I think it was Paul Levitz said like the first comic you buy informs the rest of your life. And you know I'm paraphrasing, but something like that. And I think that's true. I think you know you you ask people like what's the first comic you ever bought? What's the first record you ever bought? And they know. And because it's the first chance as a child where you can look at all these things and be like, something about this speaks to me and I want to find out what that is. And it sets you on a path that is like, I mean, it's overly sentimental, but I, I think it really is important and magical and in a way of like defining who you are. And, you know, for me, it's like, you know, it, it's punk rock tapes and, and X-Men comics was like everything. <laughs> and I was like, this is who I want to be as a person. This right. is like, this is, I understand this, this speaks to me and, 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 it, and it still does, all that stuff still does, you know, maybe not those exact issues of comics or those exact tapes, but like, uh, you just are finding your voice and finding like-minded people. And from there that informs, you know, the people you're going to be friends with and the, the, the culture you're going to be into and your belief system. I mean, um, and I think that's really important so I, that's the the magic of a comic book shop and a record shop is something that we were trying to put in here of like these are kids who've gone down a different path they've fallen in love with something that isn't a semblance of capitalism or law and order or commerce or anything else they've fallen in love with art and they've fallen in love with this idea of art and then when you add the post-apocalyptic world to it everyone else is dealing with things that have a concrete value in keeping them alive, theoretically, like rules and commerce and food and all these things. And these are kids who are obsessed with and feel the need to protect something that has no value in keeping them alive. It doesn't, it doesn't keep them safer. It doesn't make their lives better. It's just something important to, to them that only they understand. And that to me is comic books and art. That's finding something that means the world to you and doesn't and other people won't understand is everything that I love about comics and art it's and music and all that stuff it's it's finding your identity in something that's so personal and and holding on to that as hard as you can and so that's you know that when that clicked for us early on we were like yeah that's the story it's kids who live in a record store and guard the records with their lives and put them in the in the end of the world so and it resonates with what's going on now because you look at when you were having the pencils down and you were afraid the, in, the industry was going to grind to a halt. Mm -hmm. And we're even dealing still with movies, not quite sure how they're being released. The, the whole business model is in flux where mm -hmm. there's even infighting with actors and the studios that have really good relationships with each other. But the dearth of any kind of art or escapism mm -hmm. 
compounded what I would say is the mental strain as well as the, the health impact of being in the pandemic. Yeah. So art is, and, and I'm biased in saying this too, because I, I love comics and the medium and all that, sure. but it's, it's super important and it's vital to the survival of not only individuals, but communities. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, it's really interesting because I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of people talking about this and, and sort of thinking on it and studying it about um, sales of, of books and comics and records and DVDs and video games are through the roof. And, you know, I think the simple answer is like, well, people are trapped in their houses, but I don't think that's entirely it. People are are once again remembering how important and how crucial it is to be uh, escaping and to be to be in 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 love with something that someone made and and to be in love with with art and i think you know i i have a bunch of i know a bunch of people who are like yeah i'm reading so much more i'm reading so many more comics and i, I you know if you ask them it's like is it because you're home and they're like no it's because i love it and it it it's so important to me and I'm back in touch with that. Mm -hmm. And that I think is a really, you know, it's a really inspiring, nice thing if you're someone who makes art or sells art. Um, but it's also like, I think it speaks so much to the, the human experience that, that we take for granted that like, um, yeah, we, we, there's so much like post-apocalyptic fiction that doesn't feature art. And I feel like, yeah, if anything, we've learned that what's not true, that, you know, like you go back to cavemen and they're making cave paintings. Like the idea is that, you know, they're struggling to survive every hour of the day and something's going to eat them and they have to find something to eat. And it's like, they're still going to take the time to make paintings. They're still going to take the time to like express themselves and take in other people expressing their experiences and interpreting them and, and things like that. And so it's funny because we, you know, we did the record thing as this very personal thing, but now it it's taken on this more heightened importance to us because I think in the story, because I think we're seeing that like, oh yeah, people really do, will cling to their record collections and people really will, you know, when all else fails, like people are going to grab their comics and, and run and things like that. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a dark way to find out that, you know, we tapped on to tap something, but, uh, you know, it's a nice moment for us to realize that we weren't wrong in, in our assessment of what matters to people. No, no, you're right. And then also too, I'm just thinking of like records of a certain time or mm -hmm. like the album covers, like comic book covers. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they are linked to, like an, a certain time, as I said, or a certain song or a certain character or even a certain creator, right? Mm, so yeah. album covers of a certain era looked great. Yeah. And then they went through a, a period where they didn't look as great. Uh -huh. Or maybe the songs were better than the album covers or the album covers yeah. were better than the songs. And I think comics has had that same kind of um, parallel existence as well, too. For sure, yeah, yeah. I think there's, there's a weird... Um, I remember I went to go see um, uh, one of my favorite musicians, Ian Mackay, who was in Fugazi and, and Minor Threat and, and ran Discord Records and runs Discord Records, which is, you know, a huge influence and inspiration to me as a creative person and just in my life and his ethos. And he talked, he was asked about, 
you know, the rise of, of iTunes and if iTunes was this great equalizer because everyone's um, name was the same size and the same font. And he's like, you know, it's your bands and, you know, the, big, the biggest bands in the world all get the same, uh, which we found out later isn't true, that it's like, well, some people get placed better and more prominent. And he said, no, that's not. He said, I don't make music to be on an equal footing with other people. Uh, I, I make music to, to really express a lot of things. And he was like, you know, for me, the, the answer has always been a 12 inch record because the yeah. art is the biggest and there's a physical item there. And he's like, that's how I visualize my music. And that's how I want it to be. He's like, I don't want to be reduced to a font to be equal. I want to have my art blown up as big as I can and, and then put me on a shelf next to someone else and I'll win out because we've created this package where everything matters and everything is thought out and careful, you know, carefully curated. And I think about that a lot in like terms of like people who read digital comics and things like that, where it's like, I worry that everything is getting reduced down to a little thumbnail and be like, do I want to read that? And it's like, that's not how you're supposed to look at a comic. You're supposed to see it on a shelf big and be able to pick it up and smell it and hold it. And like, you know, that's, uh, I, I meet comic creators who are like, I'm moving away from doing double page spreads because if you read it on an iPad, it's less impactful because you're looking at a full page and then two pages is actually shrunk down. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to write for an iPad. Like I'm always going to write for the medium I want to be in. And, and that's comic books on a shelf. And, and like, so this book, I mean, you know, people are going to read it digitally. Like, cool. That's great. I, I want people to experience it how they want to experience it, but it's optimized for, picking up off a shelf and feeling it. And like, we had, you know, a lot of discussions about the paper quality and the weight of the book we wanted and the size and just the, everything about it is, is thought out to be a physical item in the real world. And yeah, I think that's, I think there's, I think that there's something really wonderful about that pa uh, uh, package that is, that is actualized for, for you to hold in your hands. I've always been romantic about that. And there's also things like, like you can't stop progress, mm -hmm. but you can control how out of control it gets mm -hmm. for lack of a better way of putting it. And I remember getting albums and going through the liner notes, right. Oh, yeah. And, and even like anyone who's of a certain age, that's a little bit younger than us. If you tell them what a B side is, they wouldn't have any clue. Right. Yeah. And I find comics are the same way because there's a certain thing about just holding it and hearing the pages and feeling the pages. And I was just seeing something on Twitter just the other day, even when they're recoloring reprints, mm -hmm. I think it was a line of Conan, IDW's Conan, um, uh -huh. John Bashema's Conan, yeah, yeah, yeah. where the colors are so bright and vibrant, mm -hmm. it changes the tone oh, yeah, yeah. of it, right? And so as a creator, when when you kind of issue kind of the original format mm -hmm. of something, it totally changes how you want to have your story come across. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day because I just reread um, The Killing Joke and mm -hmm. I reread, a, there's a new edition of The Killing Joke. It's not, now it's a few years old, that's, that's recolored. Um, and uh, I was talking to uh, James Tynan about it and I was like, he was like, what did you think? And I was like, the colors are gorgeous. And he was like, yeah, he's like, they are. And he was like, but there's something about the old colors that are so psychedelic 
and he's like and it's so he's like i understand why james said i understand why they didn't like them because they're clash with this sort of tone of the story in a way and he's like but for me it alters the tone of the story and he's like and when they go to these muted colors he's like the story becomes much darker and he's like and obviously it's a very dark story but he's like it becomes almost too dark for me i need it to be candy colored i need it to be like a kaleidoscope right. so that my senses are kind of overwhelmed by it and he's like when it's narrowed down these this muted palette and i was looking at it and i was like oh yeah this is like and i hadn't really contextualized that but i i you know i've read the story a dozen times and i i really do love it but reading it this time i was really like overwhelmed by how dark it is and i was like this is just and obviously i've always known it was dark but i was like this is just oppressively brutal nihilistic story and then james being like i need that candy colored filter <laughs> over it i was like oh wow like that's i mean if you ever want a better testament to coloring like read the story in the original coloring and the new coloring and just be like how did you feel after each one of them like were you just staring at the wall for a mm -hmm. while when you read the new coloring that's that's the power of coloring like it's it's a really it's a really interesting thing the 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 things we don't think about that subtly impact the experience of of what we consume um obviously coloring is not something we don't think about but that was a very concrete example of just being like oh yeah i had a very different psychological feeling on this book and i couldn't quite put my finger on it i was just like i'm in a you know place where i'm thinking about these things more and I don't think that's entirely it. I think it was a lot due to just the tone of the colors. Yeah, and, and it happens in film too, because depending on who the cinematographer is, DOP, all that kind of stuff, it can totally sure. change the tone of what you're watching. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. You know. it's, uh, it's, it's really, you know, it's, it, it's a funny thing that the, uh, I mean, it goes, I think it goes to every, every part of, of making something, but it's the thing that I always tell young comic creators when, they're, the question you get asked most by aspiring comic creators is like, I have this idea that I love, but I don't, I feel nervous about talking to people about it because I don't want them to steal it. And I'm always like, people don't really steal other people's stories. Like everyone wants to tell their own stories. They're not really like looking to just get stories. It's very rare, like almost unheard of that people do that. And I said, but I say to people, I was like, the other point is that like, if someone steals your story, it's going to be unrecognizable to you by the time they're done with it. Like it's yeah. filtered through them and filtered through you. Like you can put out the same book and like, you see that when you make stuff, when you're like, Oh, I think I just, you know, someone will compare something I made to something else and I'll go and I'll look at that thing and I'll be like, Oh, I see how they see that. But like, I don't see that. And I'm like, well, I guess, you know, the pitch for these two things is probably pretty <laughs> similar, but like at the end of the day, me and, you know, Donnie Cates or me and, Kelly Thompson or me and Chip Zdarsky or me and you know Mark Miller or whoever we're not gonna you know if you give us a four sentences and be like this is your story you're gonna get books that are almost unrecognizable to each other at the end of it and and that goes you know that's a that's a broad version of that but I think it's true for everything it's true for 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 pencilers and it's true for inkers and it's true for colorists and and you know every step of the process is is that um the way that everybody adds to it impacts it so greatly. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of what's amazing about, about storytelling, I think. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I want to get back to uh, what's the furthest place from here, though, because with the pandemic, you had to change up your, your uh, marketing plan. And I love the, the link with the songs 
that you have. Can you explain or, or talk to that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we had, you know, like I said before, we had this downtime where we were like in this panic of like, what are we going to do? How do we get people excited about this book? And uh, I had an idea years ago to try and get bands to record songs to, to go with a comic and it, it never quite worked out. And I was like, this is the time. And we had, you know, the silver lining to the horrible cloud we were in was that not only did we have downtime to work on the book, but every band in the world was stuck at home and they couldn't do the things, you know, they, they do for a living and they were, they were sitting around trapped. And so me, I reached out to a bunch of bands that are huge influences on me and bands I love and bands that sort of served as the soundtrack for making this. And I was like, you know, is there any chance you might want to record a song for, for this comic book? And everyone was just excited about the idea of making something and, and mm -hmm. getting a chance to do something different. And so, yeah, we got a, a bunch of bands who we love to just immediately be like, yeah, let's go. Like, let's figure out studio time. Let's get a song together. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a funny thing. So every version, every issue of the book has a deluxe version that's going to come with it. It's got a new cover that Tyler made for variant people. And then um, it's got a seven inch with two songs from, from two bands who are big influences for, for us on the book and bands that we like. And it, it becomes this interesting thing from a creative standpoint because they're bands who inspired us while we made the book. And now their music comes back around to be the soundtrack. And so right. they're, it's a glimpse behind the scenes of the making of the book, but also like they're going to inform the way people experience the book. Um, and I really like that, but it's been really, I mean, it's been a ton of work, but I, I was really, I'm really excited about it. And, and the idea, you know, we went to image and we were like, we we're going to do these seven inches and we want to do this. And, um, you know, hopefully get record collectors and music fans to be buying comics and image who are amazing and, and really just supportive of everything we do and, and just go above and beyond for us. They were like, this is great. Let's start the discussion of how to get um, these into record stores and get new people to find comics. And that's a, such a noble thing to do to be like, how do we find new people? And I had to, you know, I said to them, I was like, I love the instinct and I love what you guys are thinking. And like, sure, but we're coming, you know, we, this conversation was during shops being locked down and closed. And I said, I love that, but no, like this is for comic shops. Like the, uh, I want record collectors to be finding this and I want them to eventually be coming in. And we discussed the idea of like doing the book and having a big, like, here's comic shop locator. Here's how you find your local comic shop. Here's how a comic shop works and, and having that in the back of the book. But I was like, let's not do that now. Let's get those people and find them and, and drag them into a comic shop and, and get them to experience a comic shop and going in and buying a comic and buying buying their first book maybe i mean for a lot of them probably not but like get them let them know where their local comic shop is let them buy the book and image was so excited about that idea and so supportive and so yeah the we have these records the songs are not going to be online for now they're not on spotify they're not on itunes the bands aren't doing anything with them for a while and um the only place you can get them is going into your comic shop and, and throwing down some cash and walking out with a record. And so we're hoping that, you know, we're going to be introducing some comic fans to the joys of vinyl and some awesome bands. And we're going to be introducing a lot of record fans and, and music fans to buying comics. And then on top of that all, like 
you know, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be a record label. We're not trying to like <laughs> keep all these things in print and all this stuff. So, uh, uh, you know, at the end of it, I was like, bands get all their songs back after the record's out. They can do whatever they want with them. They can put them online in, in six months or, you know, they can put them on their next records. Whatever they want to do is fine. And I, you know, I said to all the bands, I was like, I, I don't need to make a ton of money off your work. Like that's not, this to me is a cool thing to promote my book and to get people into comic shops and get people, you know, talking about things. This doesn't have to be a profit source for me. This doesn't, you guys are doing it out of the goodness of your heart. And so we're donating all the money from all of them to charity, which I'm, I'm really excited about. So it's just a, to me, it's, it's something I'm really excited. It's a weird thing because it's like the deluxe version of the, the book and like really the, most people are just going to get the normal book. But I was like, you know, we get to work with a lot of my favorite bands. We do something that hopefully puts some new people in comic shops. Bands get a cool thing that maybe gets them some new listeners and we give money to some really good causes. So I, I'm really excited about it. Looks like we've, we've frozen. Matthew, you still there? Hey, we're back. Uh, wait, I can't hear you. I don't, uh, hello? I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, now I can hear you. Okay, great. That was weird. Like you were talking and then the internet gods froze you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened. I, I was like, so that's my point. And you were just staring at me and I was like. Yeah, I think, uh -oh. I think we're in the, we were in the both, both in the same situation. Well, um, okay. So, uh, uh, yeah. So you were talking about, you didn't want to make a lot of money off of it. You just wanted to have it as is. Yeah. Yeah. We were, so the records, we were not trying to, you know, we, we, we have this thing that we're really proud of that is very, a very cool thing for Tyler and myself to have these, these records. And it's such a, like, it's such a fanboyish thing to get to work with these bands. And it's something that we think is going to help comic shops a little bit and put new people in there and help the bands um and and have find new audience and so it's all very cool and and like uh i was just like that's enough that's enough of a reward for us and let's just you know let's just make these benefits for for charity and and we worked with the bands to pick causes that that we could all agree on like good grassroots organizations where like donating all the money will have an impact and and help people and so for me it's like obviously our focus is on the book primarily and making the book and we're really excited but the records is such a nice fun thing for us because it's like it checks all these extra boxes mm -hmm. of things that we're excited about of like raising money for a good cause and helping out comic shops hopefully and getting to do something that we just think is really cool and so getting to work with a bunch of bands we like so it's it's fun beyond just a, a fun addition to the book or the the interesting element of augmenting the the reading experience with a soundtrack it is it is something that I, I i'm really happy with and i people seem to dig it so far um so i'm, I'm hoping they pick it up when it comes out no it sounds great and it it kind of reminds me of like you're just making a film in a way right mm -hmm. like you have certain arcs or certain uh scenes would be informed by whatever song or band you've picked right and it yeah, just makes yeah. it that much more cinematic yeah i mean i i've always been sort of in love with i mean i'm a big film nerd but i'm i'm always been in love with the the idea that like the my two passions more than more than film or anything else are, are music and comics and i love the way they complement each other the the way that that 
music informs emotion and tells a story, but with no visual input and, and the way that comics does the same, but with no audio input. And so just smashing them together, it's like, <laughs> yeah, this is the full, this is the full package. This is everything that I love together and it works well. It's not, there's not this strange overlap. I, I think about, you know, the, I, I reread the book listening to the first seven inch and I was like, oh no, this is awesome. Like this works so perfectly. Right. This is exactly what we want people to be experiencing while they read it. Um, and so, so I'm really excited to, to see that and see how people experience that. And also, you know, I'm hoping that people are like, come back to me and are like, I think this is a better soundtrack to your book. Like, <laughs> this is what I listen to and see how other people experience it. That to me is like really fun. And I, I'm hoping that like that inspires people to just be like, no, I was listening to this, you know, this classical music or this jazz or, or this like, you know, death metal record and it like, right. it works perfectly. And like, I want to see that stuff. That to me is very cool. Excellent. And, and you've also got some really cool um, variant covers. And this name took me by surprise. Brian Michael Bendis. Like, how'd you score that one? Um, yeah, Brian, Brian is the big curveball of the covers. Uh, Brian is uh, my favorite comic creator. He is the reason I make comics. I don't, you know, I, I, I have a lot of people that I I love and who influenced me and and but Brian is the one where I I, I read a book and was like I want to do this this is what I want to do for my life and mm -hmm. like um I've always loved his stuff and and like going back to the his early stuff the crime stuff that he he drew a lot of it himself Jinx and and Goldfish and um the only original page of art that I own is a page from uh Jinx mm. um he's just He's just such an influence. And so when the book was coming out, uh, he's, he's been, and, and beyond that, like when I was first starting, I, I, I introduced myself to him and I like was self-publishing comics. And I was like, you know, can I give you this? And he was so kind to me. And then when my first creator book came out, we can never go home. You know, I emailed him and was like, I got his email and emailed him and was like, can I send this to you? And he was like, I just bought it. And he like sent me a picture <laughs> of it in his house. And I was like, it was like one of the great moments. Cool. And he, yeah, it's amazing. And and he's just that guy who's supportive of new voices always and always trying to be on top of things. And he was just a big champion for me coming in at Marvel and a big champion for me at my time at Marvel and like a big supporter of me coming over to DC when he moved over. And like, he's just been someone who's been so influential to me, but also supportive of my stuff. And so I was like, let me be really abusive of that and ask for the, <laughs> totally ask for the favor that's too far. And so I texted him and was like, hey, this is a weird question. Um, would you want to draw a cover for our book? And he just wrote back and was like, yep. And that was it. And I was like, is he serious? Nice. Like, I, nice. I spent, that's good. I spent a while being like, I don't know if he's working. <laughs> and then he did it and it's awesome. And I love the cover and he was like, he sent it to me and he was like, I haven't drawn anything in decades. Uh, he's like, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. And I love it. And I was like, oh, I love this cover so much. Like, it's so amazing. And I, I just love it so, so much. <laughs> and, you know, we put it out and people were like, that cover rules. And I was like, Brian, everybody loves it. Like, everybody thinks it's awesome. So, uh, yeah, it's that's a really... Um, we've been really lucky with all the people who, who've come and done covers for us. We're kind of just reaching out to people we're friends with whose work we love and, and people who we just think are cool to be like, do you want to draw our characters? Cause that's just a fun thing to get to see. So, 
but that for me was definitely a like a a pie in the sky one that that came through so no that's pretty cool uh get to work with you know one of your heroes for sure yeah it's it's been awesome so um but we have a bunch of 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 really cool ones and i'm really excited and you know we we wanted some people who don't normally get asked to do other covers like it's just not something that people think of so brian was the first but actually jonathan hickman mm. who is another artist whose work i love and you know like everyone is like he's one of my favorite writers but also like he draws and i love the books that he's drawn and i love his design sense and i was like john would you do a cover and he was like yep i was like this is weird that these guys are saying yes but so he actually has a cover on issue two which is awesome and so. it's weird because that's another kind of bit of synergy between comics and music because depending on what band you like you would have someone playing drums on a track mm -hmm. or singing yeah, yeah. background vocals so those those kind of opportunities to work together with not only your peers but sometimes your heroes is, is pretty fantastic and also then kind of leads to new bouts of creativity yeah yeah for sure i think that there's a um a real interesting and fun chance to like we're trying to just work with people we think are cool and also like seeing their stuff come in inspires us and it's like it's like hearing someone cover your song and be like oh they did it so much better like they <laughs> they went hard at this part or they they focused right. on this and so it's really influenced us i i won't i won't spoil anything it's a little too behind the scenes for right now but there's a couple people who did covers for us that I called Tyler after us and I was like, this thing that two people have drawn, like we have to make that a bigger part of the book. Like this is something that two people really focused and noticed and cared about. We have to spend more time on that. And so we actually are, are it changed, you know, who was doing variant covers changed the actual structure of the back half of the first arc. So no, that's um, great. yeah, it's, it's been cool and, and fun to see the, all the different takes on the book has been really awesome. And it's also because the, one of the cool things about, you know, being creative is that you do stuff in a vacuum, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And there are different stages of, I don't even want to say validation, but where you kind of like, okay, we're on the right track. And sometimes you never know, right? Oh, yeah. Sometimes you never know. But it's yeah. kind of cool that when you're doing stuff and then your peers are saying, hey, I like this, but also then picking mm -hmm. out something that you're not even centered on, right? Yeah. And then realizing, oh, it touched someone in the audience who does what I do in a certain way. Mm -hmm. It then lets you kind of realize that, you know what, you're on the right track. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've had the same thing this week, uh, th this month with like, I mean, me and Tyler have been working on this book for so long. Um, and it's just the two of us. Like, it's just the us. And then at a certain point, we were like, well, we have to get it lettered. And so... Mm -hmm. uh, Hassan, our letterer, came on, and so he was the third person who'd seen it. And the only per other person who'd seen it, a couple people, Eric Stevenson and Jeff Boyce, at Image had read it. And so we were like, "This has been seen by a total of five people, and three of them physically make it, and two of them are the publisher." Like, we just had no idea. You hit a point where you're totally in the world, and you're like, "I," you know, people are like, "Oh, is your book new book good?" And like they say that very casually, like it's just a conversational piece. And I would be like, "I don't know." I, I, I have no idea. Like I'm so immersed in it that I couldn't tell you if it's good or not. It's like, 
I felt like people asking me that is like going into a, a kitchen while a baker is like adding eggs to a cake and people be like, right. is your cake tasty? And they'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> it's not a cake. It's like sugar and flour and cocoa powder. Like, I don't know if it tastes good. And so actually getting out to send, I mean, I've been sending it to, to retailers and to uh, like our peers, like comic, other comic creators and friends. And the first few people who hit me back, I sent it to um, two of my closest friends who are, I work with a lot on stuff, which is Donnie Cates and, and James Tynan. And both of them came back very effusive and were like, dude, this book is amazing. And it was really uh, like, I could exhale a little bit, but then the voice in the back of your head goes like, those are two of your best friends. Like they're gonna tell you it's great. And I was like, I need to find a person who I'm close enough with, who will be honest with me, who, who will read it and I can trust, but will also, tell me if it sucks and like mm-hmm. I sort of looked at all my friends and I was like it's Kelly Thompson and like Kelly I wrote X-Men with Kelly Thompson and she's one of my favorite writers and a very good friend of mine but she is very quick to tell and I I try and do the same for her when she shows me something and I'm like this sucks she, you know she's appreciative of it it's it, it hurts to hear but she does the same for me and so I sent it to Kelly and I was like Kelly this isn't like give me a nice quote and pat me on the back this is like have I spent a year and a half of my life making something that everyone's going to hate? And she, she got back to me and she, she, she called me and she was like, Matt, I love it so much. And that to me was like such a sigh of relief. And so, you know, I, I, I felt like that was a huge burden lifting having Kelly and not that Kelly is the arbiter of all things good, but right. to me, she's like the person I can go to who will tell me if it sucks. And now we've, we've given it to a few people and, and everyone has been so kind and effusive and it's great. And, you know, I can tell there's some people are like, this is weird. And you're like, yeah, it's supposed to be weird. And they're like, I don't really dig weird stuff. And you're like, okay, that's cool. Um, and they're like, I like it. It's good, but it's a little strange for me. Or some people are like, I, I wish you'd done this. And like, I'm, I'm trying to get notes and feedback from people. And mostly it's been really effusive. And that's, that's a great feeling. It's, it's sort of the best reaction to anything I've ever written from giving it to friends and and comic shops have been awesome and and been really effusive but like yeah like you were saying like seeing people what they bring back from it is is so enlightening and having people be like I liked this thing that's a subtle thing and you're like oh yeah and having other people be like I didn't understand this and some of those were like you're not supposed to understand that and some of those are like yeah we'll get to that like we'll sort that out for people so it's it's having the feedback from from readers and people you trust is is I, I it's one of the reasons I love making serialized comics because it does I mean I'm not on Twitter asking for every right. X-Men fan to be like tell me what I should do next you can't do that and you yeah. have to you know I think I think most comic creators agree that if you told the fans where you were going they would say please don't go there but then they're happy when you do because it's mm-hmm. you know uh it's about the the actual creation and not just the idea of the creation but i think there is something great about doing monthly comics where you the feedback does start to inform what you're doing and and seeing what people what resonates with people it is a little more improvisational than than like making a graphic novel or making a movie or or writing a novel or something would be and that's very cool to me no for sure for sure now uh, we're going to wrap up but i want to i want to ask you a question Sure. Name your top three movie soundtracks. <sighs> top three movie soundtracks. Uh, number one is easy Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, uh, which one though? Which episode? Episode four, A New Hope. 
it, it's just uh it's the most iconic you hum it anywhere in the world people know what yes. it is like yeah. uh you know the the metal scene mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah that, that doesn't get played enough personally it doesn't get played enough and to me it's funny that a few years ago there was a video going around where they they stripped out the score and so you could just hear it and and what it would be like there and it's right. everyone just standing there and like the sound <laughs> of feet shuffling yeah. and like people murmurs. clearing their throat yeah, yeah murmurs and it's and it plays really funny and it speaks about what score is because it's like oh this scene feels hilarious without a score but then i i went back and i watched this the movie like a week after that and i got teary-eyed at the score i was just like this is it like this is so powerful and like and i still like that that is a score that chokes me up and that to me is a, is a huge thing um full metal jacket okay uh, yeah okay full yeah. metal jacket is is like uh, it's the first time i remember and i you know i think for other people it's probably going to be stuff like psycho or or the shining where the scores are very um unnerving and stuff but full metal jacket especially in the end like the sniper scenes and stuff mm -hmm. like the score is terrifying and really like it's just like dysrhythmic with weird noises mixed in and and like it really starts to um to get to get under your skin in a way that is really powerful in a great way and uh you know the one i talk about the most recently is is a weird one but it's dunkirk um okay yeah I, I i find nolan's soundtracks to be amazing like yeah. I, like whatever he whoever he picks mm -hmm. they just fit whatever he's doing like a glove yeah yeah and dunkirk to me i i, the, I didn't pick up on it the first time but the second time i watched it i was like this is basically just a drone like it's just mm -hmm. a a low key that just increases in frequency <laughs> and and tension and i was like it's a two out i mean i don't know how long that movie is like 210 or 220 it's like yeah. over two hours of just a slowly rising panic attack and mm -hmm. it's like it's a, a, i would never listen to it outside the movie right but but to me it's it's really um it's as effective in storytelling as you can get of just like this is a non-stop tension filled thing and this score is amplifies everything by by a thousand percent and then but that feels weird because it's not something i'd listen to so i want to pick something that i actually uh you know a, a big a big one for me when i was growing up and i still listen to sometimes uh is uh the judgment night soundtrack um, i don't think i've seen that all right, I, so I don't know. I'm not familiar with it. It's it's a really weird one. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's a remake. It's basically they don't call it that, but it's a remake of North by Northwest, essentially, okay. but with like, um, yeah, it's just like a weird kind of action movie version of that. But the soundtrack was all like punk rock, indie rock bands and rappers together. Nice. And so it was like all these new songs. And there's like um, Faith No More, who are one of my favorite bands, do a song with Booyah Tribe that's really good. But there's just songs that are like, there's a Dinosaur Junior, Del Funky Homo Sapien song that's so good. Nice. And there's a um, De La Soul Teenage Fan Club do a right. song. Right. And like some of it, I'm like, I don't need to listen to the Ice T Slayer song too much. <laughs> like, that's not really my thing. Uh, but the, 
but like the the really good songs are crazy good and it's also this thing it's like this wouldn't exist if it weren't for this and so at the time right. i was like this is so cool that this exists in this very unique way and so that's actually a soundtrack that i listen to still sometimes and really like that's more it's you can throw it on because it's songs rather than a score so right yeah i i find i just like i i have spotify playlists and when I'm drawing or writing, I like to put in certain soundtracks or certain tr tunes. And then that just gets me through the creative process sometimes. Sure. You know, it's funny that you said that because uh, like a lot of my peers do that, like are, are like, oh, I listen to this thing. And I used to try and do that because I can't listen to stuff that has lyrics unless I like. I'm the same with you. If, yeah. if I'm writing, no lyrics. No lyrics. Uh, but I found that when I start, like I'd listen to the Indiana Jones soundtrack and it would be influencing. I'd be like, <laughs> this needs to be more adventurous and swashbuckling. And I was like, right. no, I'm starting to try and write the movie this is a soundtrack to. And so then I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And so I just listened to instrumental, like I either listen to jazz or classical or like instrumental rock music. Mm -hmm. And the funniest to me is I said to someone, I was like, yeah, I listen to a lot of this band Explosions in the Sky. Um, it's instrumental rock, but it's very epic and sort of orchestral and i was like they're perfect because they don't aren't influencing me to a movie and someone was like they did all the music to friday night light and i was like don't tell me that like i don't want to know that now i'm gonna write all my comics like football comics but they were like yeah they've done and they've done they've done soundtracks to a bunch of movies but i'm like i can't go rewatch those movies because right. they're such an important band for my listening to their songs uh but yeah, it's 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 a tightrope for me because I know I know other people are like, yeah, just listen to like they'll see a movie and be like, great soundtrack. I'm going to write to that. And I'd be like, mm -hmm. I would be writing that by the end of the night. I'd have written that movie again. And I can't <laughs> do that. I just absorb it too much. Yeah, but it, it's it's great because it, it, it. Like comics, movies, it just gets every sensory um, yeah. thing that you have as a human being. And then that brings out the emotion. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, and yeah. I think that's what makes consuming this stuff so, so uh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's, uh, I think it's really, I always feel really lucky to get to be in a position to make these things, but also to get to be an experience of just experiencing them. And, and you know, mm -hmm. I meet so many people who don't love music and don't love comics and I feel bad. I'm like, oh, it's, it's the thing that brings me the most joy in the world. <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel bad that you don't you don't love this like I do. No, it's true. Um, I just remember was it the last time I think I saw two of these. One was the music of um, Warner Brothers, and they was uh, here in Toronto, and they played old Bugs Bunny cartoons. Oh, it's awesome! And all the music accompanied that. And then the other one was Star Wars, where oh. just everything was being done orchestrally. Yeah. And I think Anthony Daniels was the host. Oh, and then they showed clips from the movies and you're just like, yeah, it's not exactly. Mozart, but it is. Yeah, for sure. It is. It is uh, the modern. Um, I, I grew up with the, the son of a very famous uh, violinist, like a world renowned violinist. And I, I said to him once, I, I said to his, his dad, I said, you know, do you ever think it feel weird that like classical music is not uh, as prominent anymore but like it's not it doesn't have the stage and he was like it does it's just in movies now and mm -hmm. and he's like you know it's it's the importance of classical music is very much still present in classical in, in movies and he's like and that's how it should be 
he, he said like there's a lot he's like he he loved playing you know the New York Philharmonic and you know all these things and he's like but there's there's a populist thing to to scoring films with classical music that is really beautiful that it, it should be for the people and it should be evocative and if they have to have a movie in front of them to understand and appreciate it like that's fine it's a it's yeah. not it's not reductive of that it's not dismissive of that it's beautiful and and I really like that I really love that that he was like yeah the the melding of movie doesn't lessen the music it it just puts it in front of more people and that's amazing and and that's something that I I try and sort of take to heart all the time it's just like putting art in front of people is so important and so mm-hmm. so essential for their survival and safety and the health of our our society that that like we should never look down on people who are trying to get art to people it's always something that should be celebrated and and promoted no no i definitely agree and uh before we wrap up what can fans look forward to uh from you and tyler uh other than more issues of your book <sighs> uh okay so i'll start with tyler tyler has uh, a book that besides what's the first place from here which comes out november 10th from image comics tyler has a awesome awesome book that he did this year called dead dogs bite um from dark horse which comes out i think in the next week maybe two weeks in a, in a hardcover and it is i tell people i'm like oh it's one of my favorite books of the last five years easily and they're like oh it's because he's your buddy and then like you know, I was like, you know, Scott Snyder, Brian Bendis, like these big name creators were like, this is a great book and you should check it out. I'm not just talking about my buddy. Like it is a really unique, special book that I think people are going to, I think people slept on a little bit in single issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was coming out during the pandemic and it's hard to cut through the static of, of that and, and stuff. But like, I think it's going to be like a huge, huge sleeper hit for when it's out in the hardcover. And then I have a ton of stuff coming out from DC um, coming up. I have a new series called Task Force Z uh, starting in October, which is really exciting. It's me and and Eddie Barrows doing a sort of zombie take on the Suicide Squad with Red Hood leading the team. Uh, Me and James Tynan and Otto Schmidt, who I made Hawkeye Freefall with, have a book called DC Vampires, DC versus Vampires coming out the same day. late October that's a really fun like fate of the DC universe anything goes kind of um slugfest I'm doing a bunch of stuff in detective comics um which I'm really excited about and I have a series coming out now called Joker presents a puzzle box which Mm. is all different a very strange take on the Joker as a storyteller telling stories about Gotham's greatest villains with like a bunch of my favorite artists doing these short stories that are all connected that sounds really um, cool yeah it's a it's a real weird one but it's it's really fun it's this big mystery as told by like the joker um in a police uh interrogation room telling mm-hmm. stories to the police to try and steer them in different directions um and that's pretty much it and then we're just focused on uh uh, what's the first place from here, which we're, we're really excited for people to check out in November when it launches. No, oh, yeah. Uh, for those of you who are listening and watching, I recommend you go pick the book up. It's great. Thank you. Yeah. So Matthew, I want to thank you for uh, joining me this afternoon. This was a great time uh, chatting and catching up and uh, best of luck moving forward. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Uh, thanks for having me and thanks to everyone for, for listening and checking it out and hopefully checking out the book. All right. Great. Thank you.